Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Next week, I'm hoping to talk to you about something I've been wrestling with, which is what is spiritualism and what is its role in current events? And I think there's something there that we need to wrestle with because some of our prophetic worldviews, and I'm very guilty of this, have fixed our eyes on what I've sometimes deemed the religious right. And lately I've been asking myself, what if I'm totally wrong? I don't right now think I'm wrong, but what if? Like, what if we just started to go in the next few months just to address some of the things we believe, acknowledging what we currently may think and then looking at it from a totally different angle and asking the hard question, like I think the pioneers of this movement did, what if we're totally wrong? What if it's a totally different picture than what we've imagined? And we may get to the end of that and say, no, it doesn't seem to be that. But at least we've asked those hard questions. And I think that idea will give you some thought on why I felt we needed to talk about this idea today of censorship. Uh, What's its history? What's the current moment of censorship? And what is its future? And then here's the question I hope I don't answer, but I hope you do as we study this together. Would God use censorship against Lucifer? All right, so 72 years ago, George Orwell wrote a book about a time in the future where civilization has been damaged by war, civil conflict, totalitarian superstates rule the world, a mysterious leader, Big Brother, who has an intent cult of personality. The party brutally purges out anyone who does not fully conform to their regime using the thought police and constant surveillance through telescreens. Now, this was written 72 years ago. These two-way devices that had cameras and hidden microphones. And those who fall out of favor with the party become unpersons disappearing with all evidence of their existence. One of the most notable themes in the book 1984 is censorship, especially in the ministry of truth, where photographs and public archives are manipulated to rid them of unpersons. I think today we might call this revisionist history. Well, it didn't really happen like that. On the telescreens, almost all figures of production are grossly exaggerated or simply fabricated to indicate an ever-growing economy, even during times when the reality is the opposite. That was written in uh, 1949. Uh, Huxley wrote a book called the brave new world or brave new world, talking about how the downfall of society will come through. Everyone is just awash in luxury. Orwell thought, no, it will be oppressed upon them. I'm convinced there may be a a commonality between the two of them. I want to quote to you something this week. 
It says this, algorithms or the owners of corporate giants should not decide which views are right and which are not. Now, I would tell you, if you read that to me, I don't know, a year ago, I'd be like, that was somebody in the United States of America. This was the Polish prime minister this week. He said, censorship of free speech, which is the domain of totalitarian and authoritarian regimes, is now returning in the form of a new commercial mechanism to combat those who think differently. The owners of social platforms cannot act above the law, noting that in Poland, the functioning of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are regulated by law. And he said, we will suggest similar regulations to the rest of Europe. So here's the definition of censorship. Censorship is when an authority, such as a government or religion, cuts out or suppresses communication. I want to make sure you hear the, the clear definition of censorship. This may be done because it is considered wrong, harmful, sensitive, or inconvenient to the government or other authority, and this can be done for different reasons. I feel like we need to talk about this because this is very near and dear to the prophetic message of Scripture and I think uh, the core of some Adventist ideology. And to do that, I want to just take you in history. I, I learned a lot here, and I just want to share a few things with you I think are interesting. There was a Professor Corvus under Caesar Augustus. So we're going way in history. He was caught having a woman lecture to his students on why married women should not have children. And Augustus was frustrated to hear about this. Why was he frustrated? Because the declining birth rates among the elite was a real issue to him, and he was angry. And so this professor was taken to trial for what he was accused of, harming the state. This was around the years 6 to 8 A.D., what I thought interesting was, okay, so we're getting in the time Jesus has been born. Maybe this is the time Jesus is in Egypt. Augustus and the Roman Senate did not resort to the death penalty for speech that threatened the state. Instead, the person's accused writings would be publicly burned. Eventually, it was not long before the next logical steps would be taken. Private possession of any of these writings would be a crime. And finally, even reading them was a crime. Literary treason or incitement to subversive activities was the charge. You know, then we can go forward in the late 1400s, Pope Paul II begins to censor Bibles. Now, I think that's a great example for if we truly believe the greatest threat to freedom in the world comes from Christian ideologies that idea can sound insane on the surface. Until you go back in history and you read, wait a second, the leader of the Christian movement in the late 1400s is banning Bibles? 1933, the Nazis in the spring of 1933 begin to have these mass book burnings. Why is this, why is this something we need to talk about? Because in America... We have this document that has guided us for a long time. The First Amendment 
protecting this idea of what we call free speech. Question is, does this apply to a publicly traded company? And it says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Can someone, the government, tell corporations if they can or cannot censor? That's a real question. And I kind of tend to think, you know, that the Constitution protects you from the governed. Really doesn't say anything about companies. Now, the fact that they're publicly traded, maybe you could add a, a different qualifier. But, but what happens, though, when a nation in the world, we dialogue on private platforms? You know, I think of Twitter this week, and uh, we, we saw the banning. I, I found it fascinating to read some of the comments of world leaders of, wait a second, America has banned its leader from talking? And I thought, somebody could have a great stand-up routine with that. This would never happen in my country. You know, I would burn those buildings to the ground. Who knows what corrupt leaders would do if they had private companies telling them, you're not allowed to say what you want to say. And it was interesting, someone shared a video of the CEO of Twitter basically saying, we've started with this one, but that's not where we're going to stop. That's where you're just like, ooh, who was that person inside that company recording that video and sharing it publicly? So a lot of these things we talk about lately are often seen as political. I mean, I don't know if there's anything not political. I mean, even like, hey, I, I'm on a plant-based diet. Oh, you're a left-wing tree hugger, <laughs> right? I'm anti-war. Oh, well, then you're definitely a left-wing tree hugger. Oh, but I'm... I'm for limited government. Oh, wait a second. It's like it's hard to, to find someone's politics if you really stick to Scripture because I don't think it's as clear as, as we want to make it and, and try and force people into a box. But this question of censorship, I think everything in life we should address from this worldview of this story. So would God censor? Would he do that? Do we have any evidence that he does that? And so to, to get into that, we know more about how this political war broke out in heaven before this timeline arguably started. We read about it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 about Lucifer and tell me about where this war began. And our Love and War series talks about that in, in episode one of this attempted coup in paradise. But Ellen White comments on this perhaps better than anywhere I've seen in a book called Eternity Past. From Eternity Past, I think is the official title. We read about this character, Lucifer. He was perfect. He was the fourth being. He was the first created being in Ezekiel 28, 15. You were perfect until iniquity was found in you. And in our terminology, you were absolutely perfect until the day came along when you started to act selfish. 
And I just wanna read some of these ideas so that we can understand, would God censor? How do I view what's taking place in the world today with censorship? Should I say, yes, censor people that disagree with me? Censor people that say the Bible is dumb. Because I think the Bible's smart and they say the Bible's dumb. If I had the power, should I or would I censor those people? Do you silence people who disagree with you? And here we go. Something's happening in heaven. Lucifer goes forth to diffuse the spirit of discontent among the angels. Now they have time. We use all these things because time is limited. But when you've got time, maybe this happened over a hundred years. Imagine that. You got all the time in the world. You don't need technology to go disseminate to people across. You can just start to say, hey, I need a meeting with you at this time. I need a meeting with you at this time. And he goes forth to start to share his message with the angels. And for a time, he concealed his real purpose under an appearance of reverence for God. He insinuated doubts concerning the laws that governed heavenly beings. In heaven was a government. There were laws that governed that government. And this being, who is arguably the visible head of the government, begins to disseminate ideas of, you know, I don't think the government is on good ground. Some of these things we've got, some of these documents, these ideas, these laws that govern us, I don't think they're good. And he starts to intimate that angels needed no such restraint. The law is just binding on us. Don't you feel that? And your own wisdom, angel number 6724, your own wisdom should guide you, not a law. He would leave the presence of the Father often dissatisfied, filled with envy against, not the Father, but Jesus. And concealing his real purposes, he assembled the angelic host. He introduced his subject, which was himself. As one aggrieved, I've been wronged, everybody. This is wrong. They're doing something around here. This is not right. He related the preference God had given to Jesus to the neglect of himself. And he told them, from now on, all your liberty is gone. You know, something we read and what we're going to look at here in the next few minutes is one of the most beautiful traits of sin is and you can see this in the political world, accuse your opponent of what you're guilty of. Because then people get very confused. This originated with Lucifer. All your freedom is gone if you worship that guy. You want freedom, you follow me. The angels had enjoyed all this freedom, but he told them, that's at an end. So he's threatening with fear. Fear is also this tactic of the enemy. For had not a ruler been appointed over them to whom they from there on would have to yield honor like slaves? He stated to them that he had called them together to assure them that he, Lucifer, would no longer submit to the invasion of their rights. Never would he bow down to Christ. He would take the honor upon himself, which should have been conferred upon him. He would be the commander of all who would submit to follow him and obey his voice. Don't listen to that tyrant, you listen to me. <laughs> it's very ironic, right? And there was contention among the angels. Satan and his sympathizers were striving to reform the government of God. So this is a political war. What we're watching today 
for the fabric of a nation and the free world, you can put yourself in. And I think there's going to be conversations in the future when we sit down with angels and we say, I was watching this. And they can say, well, let me tell you how I was watching it unfold the first time it happened. By sly insinuations by which he made it appear, Lucifer, that Christ had assumed the place that belonged to him. Lucifer sowed the seeds of doubt in the minds of many angels. You can just see this thing unfolding. The true position of the Son of God had been the same from the beginning. That's what's fascinating about this story we understand as Seventh-day Adventists. Nothing changed, but something changed in Lucifer's heart. Many angels were blinded by these deceptions. He so artfully instilled into their minds his own distrust and discontent that his agency was not discerned. Lucifer had presented the purposes of God in a false light. Why did he do that? Why do you misrepresent your competition? To create dissent and dissatisfaction. Because dissent and dissatisfaction prolonged will equate to revolt. While claiming for himself perfect loyalty to God, he urged that changes were necessary for the stability of the, of the divine government. While secretly, listen to this, fomenting discord and rebellion. He caused it to appear as his sole purpose to promote loyalty, to preserve harmony and peace. I mean, this just reeks of modern politics. I'm here for you. They want to take your stuff. I would never take your stuff. And then guess what happens? Four years later, hey, you took some of my stuff. And then the next guy, I would never take your stuff like they took your stuff. Four years later, yeah, you took some of my stuff. Decades later, they're taking our stuff, right? Maybe that was too political, sorry. Okay, moving on. <laughs> While there was no open outbreak, division of feeling, think about that. Division of feeling imperceptibly grew among the angels. They were still going to church together. They were still smiling together and maybe texting and talking, but something in them said, I don't trust that guy. I think he's a tree hugger. There's something in him. There's something in him. I don't trust that guy. But God, this is interesting, God was patient with Lucifer for a very long time. The spirit of discontent was a new element. Strange. Think about that. I don't know if I go four to six hours a day without thinking, hmm, I wish that was being done differently in life. A little bit of discontent. And yet they've never had this feeling before. What is this feeling I have that I'm not really satisfied with what's going on? They thought it was strange, unaccountable. I can't figure this out. Why do I not feel at peace? Lucifer himself did not see where he was going. That's how the sin works. You don't know where it's going to end. You're just on the slide and you're going down. Such efforts as infinite love and wisdom only could devise were made to convince him of his error. He was made to see what would be the result of persisting in revolt. This story is so rich. I'm gonna keep going. Re rejecting with disdain the entreaties of the loyal angels. So you have these factions in heaven. 
He denounced them as deluded slaves. Never again would he acknowledge Jesus. He determined to claim this rank as his own. And as he promised, those who would enter his ranks would have a new, I'm quoting, and better government under which all would finally enjoy freedom. Great numbers of the angels signified their purpose to accept him as their leader because he was pumping the political dollars. Think about it. He is the de facto leader in heaven, publicly acknowledged. God somehow had delegated him with so much authority that the angels were told in another place, they didn't know what he knew and they just assumed he was the leader of all of heaven. That's, that, one, that is one of the most shocking lines I've ever read in Ellen White's writings. He hoped to win all the angels to his side and to become equal with God himself and to be obeyed by the entire host of heaven. We're asking the question, has God censored him yet in this moment? Lucifer was determined never again to acknowledge the authority of Christ. You keep seeing that statement over and over again. And he keeps saying, I'll acknowledge God. I'll acknowledge the Father. You know. And you see, that's why there's the hatred of Jesus. You'll hear people talk of God, but less about Jesus because the war is really about Jesus. The only course remaining was to assert the liberty of those in rebellion and gain by force the rights which had not been accorded them. God in his wisdom, this is interesting, did not immediately thrust Satan out of heaven. This act would not have changed his principles and it would have only strengthened his rebellion for it would have created sympathy for him as one unjustly dealt with and he would have carried a much larger number with him. That's the, that's the wisdom of God. So he was not immediately degraded from his exalted station when he first indulged in the spirit of discontent. I'll use some of our modern vernacular. He's tweeting up a storm. He's posting pictures of him with other leaders in heaven. He's letting everyone know this is gonna happen. Get with us or you're against us. Long, I'm quoting, long was he retained in heaven. Again and again, he was offered pardon on condition of repentance and submission. We read that he must be displaced. He must have more time after all this to fully develop his principles. It kind of stinks for us, but we're in the final throes of that, it appears, that he's still developing his principles so that forevermore, when we tell this story, we can say it doesn't end well when you think of only yourself. And it was necessary for his plans to be fully developed. Think about that. God didn't say, stop him before it gets too much. Stop him halfway through the cake is baked. No, let him fully flesh out what he wants to do. You can imagine some of the loyal angels around Jesus and around the Father asking so you're just going to let this happen? You're going to let them say these things? Like, they hate you. And the reason says is that their true nature might be seen by all. 
God's government included not only the inhabitants of heaven, but all the world that he had created. And Lucifer concluded that if he could carry the angels with him in rebellion, he could carry the worlds also. What we're watching today isn't a struggle for this nation. This is the struggle for the whole world. We're just watching it play out here. When any of my friends say, why are you so uh, American-focused and American-centric, even when I talk about Adventist ideas, because only 6% of Adventists live in North America. Because according to the way I understand the story, this is where it goes down. So that's, that's where I'm left with. We continue. All his acts were so clothed with mystery. Do you feel like that as you watch what's happening in the world today? You just ask, what? Clayton, we were texting this week a little bit. What in the world is going on? Like, I have these thoughts. And Abe, I have these thoughts. And uh, yeah, but what about this thought? And you just feel like, what is going on? The angels felt the same thing. I do not understand what's happening. This makes sense. These arguments are good. Why would, and back and forth. It was so clothed in mystery, it was difficult to disclose the true nature of his work. Even the loyal angels could not fully discern his character or see where his work was leading. I feel the same thing right now. I don't know where this is going. Everything simple he shrouded in mystery. By artful perversion, he cast doubt upon the plainest statements of God. His high position gave greater force to his representations. All right, last few words here. Even the loyal angels struggle to understand Satan's character. But this was why God did not at once destroy Satan. Had he done so, the holy angels would not have perceived the justice and love of God. A doubt of God's goodness would have been as evil seed that would yield the bitter fruit of sin and woe. Therefore, the author of evil was spared to fully develop his principles. The underworking of Satan was so subtle that it could not be made to appear before the heavenly host as the thing that it really was. Would God censor Lucifer? It says the condition of things had existed a long period of time before Satan was unmasked. In the councils of heaven, it was decided that principles must be acted upon that would not at once destroy Satan's power. It was God's purpose to put things on an eternal basis of security. Time must be given for Satan to develop the principles which were the foundation of his government. And the heavenly universe must see worked out the principles which Satan declared to be superior to God's principles. God's order must be contrasted with Satan's order. We read that in scripture. Today I set before you life and death. Not life and beep. Life and death. And then Jesus says, choose life. I'm not going to hide to you what death is all about. The principles of righteousness expressed in God's law must be demonstrated as unchangeable, perfect, eternal, and the corrupting principles of Satan's rule must be revealed. Let him say what he wants to say. Let him do what he wants to do. All evil he declared to be the result of the divine administration. And it was his own object to improve upon the statutes of God. Therefore, here's the heaviest statement. God permitted Lucifer to demonstrate the nature of his claims. 
to show the working out of his proposed changes in the divine law. His own work must condemn him. The whole universe must see the deceiver unmasked. I think that statement's interesting, to show the working out of proposed changes in the divine law. What happens to a free world when you change the principles of the divine law? We've had an example of that in history when France says there is no God, there is no law. What anarchy is the result? The poor eat the rich. That's what happens. You want to have some fun? Go on, go on YouTube right now and look up what some of the billionaires are saying about their greatest concern in the world. And I'll quote a few of them with the same line. The pitchforks are coming. The mighty argument of the cross demonstrates to the whole universe that the course of sin, which Lucifer had chosen, was in no wise chargeable upon the government of God. For so long, Lucifer was allowed, not censored, not even censored to this day. He still whispers into your mind, telling you you're not good enough, you're not holy enough, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. God allows him to do these things. He is yet to censor him. So that at the end of the day, we are the witnesses that say, I lived this story. I watched this story. And Lucifer's ways are broken. They lead nowhere. And the way Jesus could answer that was for thousands of years, he told the story. Sin leads nowhere. But then to ultimately show that selfishness has no future, he says, I will give up my existence so that you can be saved. I will not censor my enemy. I will not, not prevent him from saying whatever he wants to say about me. I will literally let him kill me Say all things against me so that you can have the freedom to choose life or death. Which of us was right? Scripture tells us to test all things and to hold to that which is true. And as we look at the world today, the great temptation is right now to say, I'm mad that they're censoring people I wish weren't censored. But history shows us that if the power changes, we're often prone to do the same thing. Censor them back. Don't let them say what you want them to not say. And I just want to encourage you, as this idea can be seen in your own home, with your friendships, with your classmates, with your work, do we trust God enough to say, truth will prevail? Amen. Let the ideas out there. Trust God made us smart enough to to look at the ideas, to look at life and look at what we may think is death and to say, I can make a choice. And I believe if we continually go through this filter and say, Lord, help me to make a choice. He doesn't say come out of the world. He says, I've sent you into the world as sheep amidst wolves and to choose life. That's my prayer. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.